Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Now, our task this morning is to cover the entirety of chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And they are, sorry, I got crumbs from my kids in my shirt. Uh, they're, they're the similar passage, written by two different historians. So, for the first time in uh, many times, we have a, uh, a plausible passage to cover it in one morning, instead of covering three or four chapters. So let's go ahead and, with the Lord's help, uh, look at God's Word. I'm going to be reading primarily from Second Samuel chapter 24. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto thy people how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of the Lord, uh, that the, the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth uh, my Lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched over um, Aror on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river at Gath towards Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and into the land of Tatum Hodshi, and they came to Danjan about, and about to Zidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites, and they went out of the south of Judah even to Beersheba. So uh, when they had gone through the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days, Joab gave the, the, gave the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in, that I have, in what I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David uh, was, in the, was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus says the Lord, I will offer thee three things. Choose one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, uh, shall seven years of famine come to thee in thy land? Will thou flee three months before thine enemies, will thy that, that they will pursue thee, or, or that there will be three days of pestilence in thy land? Now advise, and see what, I, what answer I shall return to him that had sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am a great street. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, 
for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time it was appointed. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it. And the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place in Yernan the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand pray thee be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came to David and said unto him, Go up, rear up the altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Urinan the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up and did as the Lord commanded. And Urinan looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Ornan went, to, went out and bowed himself before the king with his face upon the ground. And Ornan said, Wherefore uh, is my lord king come to his servants? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee and build the altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Let, the, let my lord uh, king take it and offer what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here is the oxen and the burnt, uh, the burnt sacrifice, the threshing instruments, and other instruments for the oxen in the wood. These things did Ornan as the king uh, uh, give unto the king. And Ornan said unto the king, uh, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Ornan, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I, uh, uh, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor, the oxen, for about 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar there unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for your scripture, Father. We just ask that you would speak us. Speak to us through it, Father. We ask that the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will get the glory this morning, Father. The precious Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Teach us, O Lord. Help us to take in thy word. In your Son's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. This is a very interesting passage. And it's, again, it's very similar to the one in First Chronicles with just uh, a few variations of the account. But it... All in all, it's the same exact passage, um, but like I said, we'll refer to First Chronicles in just a few um, instances. One of the instances being the very first verse. It differs from what is in Chronicles, but what's important to understand is that essentially both verses are saying the same exact thing. When one would uh, essentially read Second uh, Samuel chapter 24, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And you have, to, you have to hear, put on your thinking hat and think, why is the anger of the Lord kindled against Israel? And, and you might uh, not understand it at the beginning, just reading it straight, saying that he moved David against them. Well, you have to consider who is the he that's moving David. And to answer that question, I think we get a clearer uh, picture when we look up 
uh, verse 1 in chapter 21, when it says Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to the number uh, Israel. Okay, we're going to discuss what was the great sin that was committed, but it's important to understand exactly who is the one that caused this sin. Nonetheless, David is the guilty, the guilty one in this, this, this instance. He was the one that sinned. Uh, the tempter, being Satan, is the he who, chapter uh, 24, verse 1 is referring to, David was tempted of the devil. And uh, the sin that we're going to discuss is he exalted himself. It was a sin of pride, brothers and sisters. The very ancient sin that's been around for the longest. And David was moved by Satan. And how, how, how can we confirm this? Well, there's other passages, right? We studied not that long ago about temptation in, for, in the book of J, uh, James. Do you recall? Brothers and sisters, in chapter 1, when it says to count it all joy, right? When you're falling into diverse temptations, knowing that your, the testing of your patience, uh, um, testing of your faith work is patience, right? And then it goes on to say in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Because God cannot tempt anyone with evil, right? So here it's not God that's tempting David to commit this great sin, correct? So we see here that the he that it's referring to is Satan. And Satan moved uh, David to commit this great sin. Now, did God allow it? Yes, yes. God did allow it. But remember uh, that God himself is not going to allow you to be tempted greater than what you could handle. And we could see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So here David is, is faced with this temptation and unfortunately he succumbs to it. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this sin. This is in, I'm reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, he goes on to speak about the, the, the wilderness wanderings, and, 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 and he's exhorting to the, the, the saints gathered in Corinth uh, that these are in examples that we should look to, that we should learn and praise the Lord for the examples that we have in the Old Testament, that we could look, up, look at the good examples and the bad examples, and we could gather uh, very beneficial information that will benefit our spiritual souls. This is spiritual. This, this stuff is eternal, right? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not the word of God. And so here Paul is writing in verse 12, he goes, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. And this is a solemn warning to us today. Imagine if a man after God's own heart could fall into this great wicked sin the sin of pride, to exalt himself. Can we not fall in the same sin? And here Paul is exhorting, if you think you're standing, take heed, lest he fall. Right? There's that saying, pride becomes before the fall. And it's true. Look at what the next verse says. Uh, he, hath, um, he hath no temptation taken, uh, taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful. Amen to that. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will within, with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. 
So not only if you are tempted and God is allowing it, he will also provide a way for you to overcome that temptation. I don't know exactly what it was in, in, in this instance. My guess would be here was his rascal of a commander, Joab. What follies did that man commit? What atrocities did he do? But somehow he was always faithful to his king. He would disobey the king in some orders, but at the end he was always faithful and he would want the king to get the glory in some instances. That's a mixed character, that Joab. But in this case, he's the righteous one. And he's telling the king. He sees the king's intent and he tries to reason with him. Let the Lord multiply thee a hundredfold. Don't do this foolish thing, David. And yet David would not take heed to the word of his commander, Joab. That I may know the number of the people. Why is that such a great sin, right? The concept here is, in a sense, it happens with your own belongings. You could go over your accounts, let me see how much I have. And you'll do an account of what you have, uh, whether it be finances or some kind of material goods. Uh, the, 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 the thought behind this is that David was now, there's peace in the land. He's conquered uh, Jerusalem and he is now looking at all the stuff that the Lord hath done. All the stuff that he has at that moment, the Lord has extremely blessed them. And now he's going to count what, how much power and might does he actually have in his empire? Because ultimately that's what it was. I'm not going to turn to it just because we always are fighting against the clock. But in Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 and 13, there's a commandment that the Lord told Moses. Go count the people. Go number the people. Moses didn't even blink twice. He went and did it. Now there was an offering that had to be done. And this offering was collected for each person that was counted. Now the, the, the thought behind that is that who is the people? Who do they belong to? Is it David? No, it's God's people. It's God's people. So if God is the possessor, he's the possessor of the people. He's the one that has the rights to them. For David to exalt himself and number the people as if they were his own possession was a great sin. Again, it's the sin of pride. Think about how Satan, that beautiful angel, Lucifer, how he would exalt himself. He will look to be like the most high God. The very first sin that we see, the sin of pride, and how God would cast him out of heaven for it. And sad to see that David himself would fall into this great sin. Brothers and sisters, take heed lest ye fall. So then Joab would complain. He would protest mightily, but yet the, Lord, the word of the king would prevail and he would go out and number the people. Just for uh, reference purposes, this chapter could be uh, divided into... Uh, five small sections, verses 1 through 9, David's sin. Verse 10, repentance. Verse 15, uh, 11 through 15, the judgment. Verse 16 through 17, 
stain of that judgment. And verses 18 through 25, an altar is erected. So now we see that Joab actually goes out and does the commandment of the king. He goes out and numbers the people. In the account of Chronicles, it actually says that the account of the Benjamites and the Levites was not completed because the word of the king was an abomination to Joab. And we know what kind of character Joab is. Even he could see that this was a wicked command. So nonetheless, they went out and they gathered and they gave an account to the king. And here we could see this man, this man after God's own heart. A commentator would write that through David, he's one of the greatest heroes of the faith. One, the one that would be a man after God's own heart. The one that was one of my favorite characters, it still is, of the Old Testament. For different reasons, uh, we're both named David is one of them. The Bible says that he was fair to look upon. Well, I'm short. I'm sh- I, don't, I don't necessarily match up with, with that uh, characteristics. He was bo- he's the youngest one of his brothers. I was the youngest one of, of my brothers. So I, I would really enjoy the stories of David. But even growing up, growing spiritually, more importantly, you could understand and see the beauty of David, his heart. Where was his heart? Was he a perfect man? No. But yet God would test. He's a man after my own heart. And there was few men that walked closer to God than David. And there was few men that delved into deeper sin than David. But through it all, it was who? The Lord. He maintained them through it all and carried him. And you would see his heart poured out in the Psalms. My God, my God. And he, and he would write, patiently, I wait upon the Lord. He would write these beautiful hymns of, of praise and worship. And you could see the moments of, of, of his life, how he would go from being just a shepherd boy, relying on the Lord that would protect him from the, the bear and the lion. He would protect him from the giant. He would go on, protect him from Saul. He would be hiding on the cleft of the rock. He would be hiding in the cave of Adullam. And the Lord would maintain him. And David will solely rely on the Lord. There was nothing for him to cling on to. And the Lord was faithful. And he raised him to the highest position. And we can't be too hard on David. Because who knows how each of us will handle that power. But this sin got to him. But praise the Lord. There's verse 10. Praise the Lord that there wasn't just an end of the story that the angel of the Lord came and punished the people. No. That David repented. And here is what's in his heart. He would see his, the, the folly he has committed. Oh, how brothers and sisters, how we need this today. In our assemblies, to be repentant of sin. To hate sin as God hates sin. To confess it. To repent. And to repent is not just to say, I'm sorry. Right? Um, I heard a message once in which a speaker says, well, repentance can't be if... If, say, uh, my brother Michael Renth, he works for the IRS, and goes and decides, hey, let me, I, I know where they keep this money. Let me go and rob this money. And then he gets smote in his heart. I robbed $100,000. I'm sorry. Well, he confesses his sin. And then the Lord goes, well, Mike, I will forgive you. Give back that money. Well, I wasn't planning on giving back that money. Is that true Repentance. No, repentance requires action. And David would repent. He would confess his sin to the Lord. 
the Lord will be gracious. He would forgive them. There will be consequences to sin. But yet, it required obedience. His repentance would require obedience. So he would confess, he would repent, and he would obey. And that's in verse 19. When he's given instruction from the Lord through the prophet Gad. So when David would repent, he would send his prophet and he would communicate with him. Now notice the difference between David repenting and Saul repenting. When Saul would partially obey and disobey the commandment of the Lord by not slaying the Amalekites, right? Samuel would go, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And he will go, yes, I have obeyed the Lord, the voice of the Lord, but the people, but this, but that. That's not true repentance. When you excuse and then you accuse. Isn't that what the serpent, what, what uh, the serpent taught Adam and Eve to do? The woman whom thou gavest me and the woman the serpent had told me. We don't, we just have to, to repent. It's us between us and the Lord. We don't cast blame. We don't excuse ourselves. And yet that foolish person saw would go on to Samuel, I have sinned to the Lord. Now, honor me before the people. How sad of a story. But this is a complete, complete different attitude that we see in the heart of David. That he would repent and the Lord would pronounce the judgment, the punishment that has to come to him because of his sin. Now, sin is a very grave Great thing. In the assembly today, we, when, when there's sin, we have to deal with it. And unfortunately, when sin is dealt with, it leaves scars. The difference between us believers and the world is, they would look to see people collapse and fall under calamity to raise them on selves. But we, the people of God, we all suffer Whenever somebody falls in sin, we all fall and pray together for that person with weeping until they're reconciled. We want to raise them back up. When I was a a counselor in Camp Horizon, I may be 16 years old, I remember um, it was not Geikama. It was Tom Bramer. He would speak to the children and he would give the illustration of sin that little Johnny was, when every time he would disobey, his mom would grab a nail and nail it to a little board and every time he would come to sin he would nail another nail to the board and for every good deed he would do he would pull out the nail and if his father got home before and there's nails on the board he would get dealt with so it's little tommy would would kind of or did i say johnny or tommy it doesn't matter so little johnny would would kind of eventually start getting the game and he would do three bad things and then do three good things But then he realized after some time that the board was full of holes. And he would weep to his mom, why is there so many holes? Because there's consequences to sin, brothers and sisters. There's consequences. Think of what sin did. What was the cause? What was the cost that God the Father had to pay for just sin? What? It cost him everything. It didn't cost him 10 galaxies. It didn't cost him all his wealth and riches. It didn't cost him any of it. It cost him the one and most precious thing that he had. Only one of our Lord coming down into this world to bear the sins of many. So the sin is not something 
that we should play around with. And David knew it. And he would see that he had sinned. And he would come and see the consequences. There was three that were offered to him. And he would fall upon the hand of the Lord, relying on the Lord's mercies. One of them was to be famine seven years. Another one was that there would be war. And then the other one that there would be pestilence for three days. There's been, uh, it depends on how you read it. The way I would read it is that he would just let the Lord choose. Fall upon the mercy of the Lord. I've, I've seen it said where he would choose for the judgment of the Lord. It's being that he's a man after God's own heart. If famine would come, his family's protected with his riches. If wars would come, his family would be protected with battle, with, with his soldiers. They would protect them nonetheless. But when pestilence would come, everybody was in danger. David himself. And it would come to the point where David would be pleading for the people. And it would come to this, this climax in, 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 um, in verse 16. When the angel of the Lord had his hand stretched out upon Jerusalem to destroy it. And here we could see the curtain in heaven opening up. Just seeing the heart of God. And seeing the heart of David. How they're both in agreement with each other. And, and the Lord, it says that the Lord repented. Now that the Lord is, is not repenting from sin or anything. He's repenting from, from the calamity that's about to happen. He's relenting the destruction of Jerusalem. And the Lord God would speak. It is enough. Stay thy hand. And David, at the same time, he would speak, looking upon the angel. He was saying, it is I who have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray, be against me and against my family. What an attitude of a man after God's own heart. The sin of pride. There's a list in Proverbs that um, it's not a good list. We're not going to turn to it. If you want, it's in Proverbs 16, around verse 16. It says, six things I hate. This is the Lord speaking. Seven are an abomination. Guess what's number one on that list? It has to do with pride. A haughty look. Somebody that exalts themselves. There's other, there's other sins in there too. And it's a humbling proverb. Because I'm going to admit, I'm guilty of some of those sins. And, and David would see how much this sin was so grave that the, the punishment and he would lay himself and plead for the people. He would be looking to offer himself. And the Lord graciously would send us the, the prophet Gad and he would give him instructions to go to the Mount, it's Mount Moriah, to the Jebusite Ornan and to go purchase that threshing floor and erect an altar for the people, for the hand of the Lord to stay against them. This is an interesting place. This is the same place in which Abraham took up Isaac to sacrifice him. The hand of the Lord was stay then, wasn't it? This is the same place in which the temple of Solomon was eventually built. And it's the same place where the temple was reconstructed in which the Lord, just outside of the city would give his life a ransom for many. 
And here the, David will come to this person, and this person will pay strict homage to it. A Gentile, a converted Gentile. Nonetheless, one who turned to the true and living God from his old ways, being a Jebusite, and he would offer, it's, it's yours, my king, take it. And yet David would strictly refuse. How can I offer to the Lord what cost me nothing? I will pay the full price. And brothers and sisters, on a side note, we got to be careful I've known some brothers in the past where they would look to take advantage. Whenever a Christian brother has a business, for example, oh, he's going to go do business with the brother because he'll do it for free. Is that the attitude David takes? Imagine that this dear brother, whoever it is that has a business, he's running it. Whose business is it really? Is it the brother's? No, it's God. Is it the Lord's, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The job I have, I don't have it because of my intellect or because I'm such a good person. God placed me there. The money that you make, sir, in your bank account, is it yours to do what you want with? No. We are to be stewards of it. We are all to answer what we've done with what the Lord has allotted us. And instead of trying to get breaks from a brother. Now, if the brother offers, this is um, the Lord laid on my heart. I'm going to give you this service for free. That's one thing. But David takes the attitude, no, I will pay the full price. And he goes and pays the full price. The tabernacle is erected. The, uh, the altars are um, erected. The offerings are made. And the hand of the Lord, of the angel, is stayed. Now, I, I, I want to go to the New Testament. I, I know that we're short in time, but it's well worth saying it. Here, David, we always say David is a prototype of Christ. How he has failed so many times. How his sin are, are just terrible. But yet his heart, the, the, the attitude of his heart is a man after God's own heart. And you could see why God would say that. And we go forward in time, into the times of, of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How I ask these questions, I'm not trying to be blasphemous. What gives this Jesus of Nazareth the right to exalt himself? Does he have the right to exalt himself? Well, I'll answer that question. In John chapter 17, those very personal passages where the Lord is in an intimate setting with his disciples. In verse 6, he goes, uh, Unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were... And thou gavest them to me. Who's he talking about here? Believers. Believers of? God. Believers of God. There's the characters like Joseph of Arimathea. Here's the disciples. Here's the people who put their faith and trust in God. Amen. We shouldn't put trust in anything else. And yet Christ, this man, this Nazarene would come. And he will start teaching these things. And oh, how it will be startling. Put yourself in that time, brothers and sisters. We have the completed scriptures. But imagine if you were a devout follower of God. There is only one God. And Jehovah is his name. And then this man comes and starts teaching like no other. 
His words are astounding, more wise than all the rabbis and the Pharisees. And yet he would start saying, you believe in God, believe also in me. What are these words? And yet he would shed himself and he, he would shed light onto who he was and to his character. And his disciples would start discerning to the point where Peter would confess, thou art the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. They come to that realization because who was Christ? Christ was God incarnate. Does he have a right to exalt himself like David didn't? Yes, he does. And there's a right for us to put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Yes, it is. It was a, it was a solemn thing to do, to, to come for this man and, and for people to realize who he was and to bow down and exalt him. Imagine all the different times in Scripture when, when, when an angel would appear, not the angel of the Lord, but when just an angel would appear. For example, in Revelation, John would bow down. When he would see a celestial being and the angel would say, no, John, you can't do that. All homage and glory and praise belongs to God. Yet Christ would be able to accept this. Why? God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you apply just basic Logic to it. You could say Bill loved Jill so much that Ted died for her. It's kind of puzzling. It doesn't really make sense. If Bill loved Jill, why would Ted die for her? The difference is because Christ is God. And he gave himself for us. And let's just turn to one more passage. To conclude why he is worthy to be exalted to receive the glory. We see that David would come to a realization that the people were suffering for his sin. And he would purchase, he would pay the full cost of the sacrifice. Not for free, he would pay the full cost of the sacrifice to save the people. Look at this Christ. This Jesus, right? In Revelations chapter 5, when there's that celestial scene, and John beholds the book, there's none found worthy. And one of the elders cries out to him, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. To right all the wrongs, to open the books, and to judge. Why is he Worthy. Why is Jesus Christ worthy to be exalted? And I beheld in the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as if it had been slain. Oh, dear Christian, imagine that sight where David, in a sense, would be pleading for the people. For his sin, he will be wanting to save the sheep, the sheep of Israel, for his sin. And he would want to do whatever he can within his means. Imagine that scene where Christ would speak to the Father. That verse that was read this morning, we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone 
to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him. Right? Imagine that scene. And here, a man greater than David, Jesus Christ, incarnate. He is worthy because he was slain. He will talk to the Father. The sheep are lost and they have sinned. Save them. I will give myself for the sheep. And the hand of the Lord was not stayed from the spotless Lamb of God. And he was slain for you and for me. And I beheld a loud voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them, which was ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, innumerable, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, glory, and blessing. He is worthy to receive all, to receive you as a living sacrifice. Let's give thanks. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for these Old Testament stories, Father, how they would point to, to a coming one uh, that would be perfect, that wouldn't have any flaws, that, would be whole, that his whole heart would be devoted to you. For this man, Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the darling of your bosom would come and would give his life to ransom many. Oh, the Son of Man came not to be served unto, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And God our Father, we could say this morning, and, and we could praise because you have highly exalted him. And we look forward to that day when every knee and every tongue shall confess and things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that he is Lord of all. His name get the glory this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.